Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. It's Friday, June 24th. The Marshall Fire ripped through Boulder at the end of last year. Many fire victims took almost nothing with them that day, but they went back to sift through the debris in the months that followed. KUNC has produced a series called From the Ashes. In it, Lee Patterson brings us the stories of how they salvaged objects to help families process what they lost. After losing their house in the fire, Jill Sellers and her husband, along with their dog Penny, now live in an apartment in Superior. On her kitchen table, she's laid out the objects they pulled from the debris. I appreciate the things that I do have because objects, I think, prompt memories. I'll start with probably the most meaningful is this cup and saucer. The pieces are covered in ash and soot, but are undamaged, no cracks or chips. Both are white with a leafy pattern. It was my mother's. Um, My dad went to Korea. They were engaged during the Korean War. And when he was on leave in Japan, he actually shipped my mother this china set um, from Japan. Sellers describes herself as the family historian. She kept this cup and saucer and other heirlooms in a cabinet on the third floor of her house. These particular pieces bring back memories. I always helped mom set the table. So we always had to set them in certain ways with one of the leaves going a certain way. (laughs) So it was just always something, you know, when important things happened in our lives, the china came out. Sellers reaches into a mason jar on the table. They retrieved, this was my wedding ring. The diamond is now white and cloudy, damaged by the fire. Sellers goes through other recovered objects, a toy teacup, a ceramic cat she made with her mom, a flower pot craft her son made in preschool. And so you look at something and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, my son made that for me and that's important to me. Sellers lived in her house for 17 years. She grew up in the area, as did much of her extended family, going back generations. The loss of her home and most of her possessions has been complicated by the death of her 89-year-old father the night before the fire. She had gone over to his house in Boulder late. I sat with Dad. I could tell he wasn't doing well. And exactly midnight, he passed away. In the early morning hours, she made plans with her family to get together that night. And watch old videos and look at old pictures and kind of get pizza and celebrate Dad's life, and that was the plan. Then, a few hours later, the fire started and Sellers' home in Superior burned down. She drove back to her dad's. She needed a place to go. Later that night, when she went to Target to buy a toothbrush, she ran into her neighbors. She says they all looked shell-shocked. Since then, Sellers has been trying to take care of herself. She plays pickleball, started going to therapy, and drives a school bus for young kids in the mornings. And I just absolutely love them and seeing their faces and again them telling me about their wiggly teeth and that their birthday was coming up makes me happy. Having been able to salvage a few precious items has also helped. Sellers feels a sense of closure, especially with debris removal now underway. 
They're not getting rid of anything important because I have found what's important to us. They're just getting rid of trash now. Sellers has also been dealing with her dad's estate. Some of his stuff she's given away to fire victims. Other things she's kept for herself. I didn't want to keep absolutely everything. So that that contradiction of owning nothing and having stuff was just so strange. It's all becoming part of this process she's going through, making new possessions her own by using them and spending time with them, like her dad's armchair and his dog, Penny. After losing her own dog, a mutt named Peanut, in the fire. Penny, a little terrier chihuahua mix, needed a home. You know, she was dad's dog, but she lost her person. You know, I lost my dad, we, I, we lost our dog. So we all needed each other, and Penny, Penny is becoming ours because we are creating memories with her. Out of everything that was salvaged, the remains of her old dog, Peanut, are the most important for sellers. They sit in a box on the kitchen table, along with the cloudy diamond wedding ring and the charred cup and saucer. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Catch part two of our series, From the Ashes, next week. These stories were produced in collaboration with Eli Imadali and the Boulder Reporting Lab. Climate change is reshaping the natural world, but one animal is doing its part to fight back. A new study lays out all the ways that beavers are helping reshape rivers and streams. They're creating healthy waterways and are more resistant and resilient to the worst effects of climate change. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. In the foothills of Boulder County, Colorado, there's a kind of secret water park. It's just not for humans. And you just get this totally ridiculous, like water slides everywhere and waterfalls, and you can't even tell where one dam starts and the other one stops because they're all going at weird wonky angles against each other. Emily Fairfax and I are knee deep in a watery wonderland of clear, frigid runoff, shaped and sculpted by North America's largest rodent. She is an eco-hydrologist and knows more about beavers than just about anyone. Fairfax tells me this kind of area is called a beaver complex, and it really is complex. From here, we can see a pond, a lodge. And then a bunch of different little pools and waterways and channels that are full of water, sort of routing around the landscape, diverting some of that overtopping water out into the floodplain. And the fact that this beaver complex makes the stream so messy is a huge boost to every animal that stops here to rest and eat. A few more steps across shallow trickles and squishy patches of soil and undergrowth, there's another sign of life. Whose scat is that? That is a great question. Speaking of animals visiting this site, I almost stepped in a huge pile of evidence here that looks like it's probably either a very large deer or an elk. I would probably lean towards elk. On trail cameras across the western U.S., Fairfax has spotted a ton of wildlife. We've seen bobcat, we've seen cougar, we've seen bears, we've seen possums, skunks, rabbits, raccoons, every kind of frog and bird you can imagine. Fairfax is the co-author of a new paper that explains how beavers and the ecosystems they create by damming up streams are powerful tools in the face of climate change. Chris Jordan is with the Northwest Fishery Science Center in Oregon. He also wrote the paper. If you're storing more water, if you're making a wetter, greener area all along that stream and river network, you're actually affecting an enormous fraction, an enormous proportion of the landscape. 
The new study spells out a lot of practical ways that beaver habitat can help protect against everything from floods to wildfire, both of which are made more severe by climate change. Too much rain or snowmelt? Beaver dams will help spread that water out before it rushes down towards people. If the hills are burning, wet valley floors lush with plants will resist the flames. Too much sediment in the stream? Beaver ponds will slow the water down and help those particles settle out. We're facing these dire warnings about climate change and almost the sort of doom of all of the bad things that are happening and how it's out of our control. But in reality, it's not out of our control. What we can control, Jordan says, is promoting healthy beaver populations and letting them get to work. In a lot of places, they're considered pests and can be killed if they're getting in people's way. But doing the opposite and allowing them to thrive could make western rivers look like they used to, before beavers were seen as a nuisance and before trapping brought their populations down by tens of millions. So if you read some of the earliest written descriptions, whether they're going upstream or downstream, the French, the English, the Dutch, the Spanish, they're all complaining about how hard it is to figure out where the river goes. Ellen Wohl studies the flow and formation of rivers at Colorado State University. She says more beavers mean more streams and rivers go from straight and uncomplicated to the way they behaved hundreds of years ago, before people started to change them. And that's important in a region strained by decades of drought. Most of the Intermountain West, we get our water supplies from the mountains, the nearest mountain range, or in some cases not so near with um, diversions. And I really think beavers can contribute to the health and the sustainability of those mountain watersheds. And while humans have tried to replicate the effects of a good beaver dam, we don't have the teeth, tails, and millions of years of evolution it takes to put together intricate woodwork that lasts. I'm Alex Hager in Boulder County, Colorado. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River. The coverage is produced and distributed by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Last week marked the 10th anniversary of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. There are over 14,000 DACA recipients living in Colorado. The federal program has allowed undocumented people to take advantage of many opportunities. Those include being able to work and go to college. I recently spoke with DACA recipient Luis Antesana. He's the founder and CEO of Juntos to College. It's a nonprofit that serves undocumented people in Colorado. Hi, Luis. Thank you so much for joining me today on Colorado Edition. How are you doing today? Hi, Oselene. I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Luis, I want to talk to you a little bit more about DACA. And since we did celebrate the 10th anniversary of DACA this week, I just want to know what this means to you and tell me a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say that I can't believe it's 10 years, but it means so much. There's so much that has happened. Born in Bolivia, um, raised in Los Angeles. At the age of seven, my parents decided to look for economic opportunity. And so they made the very difficult decision to leave Bolivia. We, we followed an aunt and an uncle who had been living in Los Angeles. I didn't realize that I was undocumented until my senior year in high school. And that changed my entire trajectory in life. That same year, I realized that I could get a full-ride scholarship to go to college. So that's what allowed me to go on to college. I was at Cal State Los Angeles 10 years ago on June 15th. I look back at my Facebook memories to see what I was doing. I had just celebrated my 20th birthday. A younger brother was graduating high school. And they announced that DACA had come out. 
And I looked back at my Facebook memories for the post and I posted a single phrase that said, what a glorious day. Because at that point, I knew that I would be able to exercise my degree, which I have uh, in, in the field of education and now as an entrepreneur. And I was the first in my family to navigate a salary, uh, healthcare for the first time, 401k. I went through the home ownership process and all of that was possible because DACA opened those doors. And after six years in the public education system, it has given me the opportunity to start a brand new system as, as founder and CEO of Juntos to College to help our undocumented communities. You started your professional career here in Colorado teaching English at Harrison High School. According to a recent study from Chalkbeat, Colorado, Hispanic graduation rates in our state are increasing faster than any other demographic. This is due to several factors, including economic conditions and better support for students. I know you've taught many Hispanic students. Why do you think more are graduating from high school and what have you done to help them succeed? I would say, what have we all done to help that? Because it really has, it takes a village, right? And when I started my career here as a professor, right, uh, I, was, I was a DACA recipient and all of a sudden I, saw, I found myself on the other side. Right? I was a student for so long that I was a professional in the classroom. And I came across many families and students who were also undocumented. And at that time, when I came, um, the state of Colorado had just passed legislation to help undocumented students pay the same rate as the rest of the residents, meaning paying uh, in-state tuition rates. Right before that, um, they would have to pay out-of-state uh, rates, often double or triple times more than um, regular in-state tuitions. In 2020, the state uh, also passed law that finally undocumented students here who had attended a high school for at least three years could get state financial aid to pay for school. And most recently, the state has finally allowed those who don't have legal status to be able to get professional licenses. Uh, many undocumented families can also now uh, practice a certain uh, professions here that they weren't able to before, right? So that happened at the state level. On the educator, on the teacher side, there were so many teachers who saw the problem. They've, they've been, uh, they knew the problem was, was, was there for a very long time. And for so long, they felt like they felt helpless because they couldn't necessarily help their undocumented students. But so many since then, uh, specifically at the schools that I was working, I was like, hey, we can help our undocumented families. I know we can. Um, let's figure something out. More Hispanic students are graduating from high school, but there's still challenges that can make this milestone difficult to achieve. Luis, you also mentioned to me that you worked as a college advisor. Tell me about some of the issues facing the Hispanic students that you've worked with. In my time of working at uh, my school, I was in Southwest Denver. I was at Abraham Lincoln High School. There was definitely so many. It was a mini Latino community, uh, Latino, Latinx demographic. Um, and many of them were absolutely like ready to take on the world, go on to college. And for those that really struggled and, and, and didn't necessarily see as a maybe it, they just didn't see a high school graduation as part of their goal. There were so many, so many factors that led to that. And I'll tell you one, one, the, the main one that I saw, um, specifically for undocumented students, it was just that they felt so defeated. Um, they felt so hopeless in, in society that they were not going to be able to work, that they that nobody was going to help them go to college. Many students, their parents had been deported or their parents were just not there. And so for them, their immediate need was to work and make money and put uh, food on the table for their siblings. Their priority was just to like, let me figure out a way to work and make money. My education in, in high school graduation right now is not the priority. 
You're the founder and CEO of Juntos to College. Can you tell me a bit more about the nonprofit and how this serves undocumented students? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, our, our, our vision for Juntos to College is simple and Juntos means together. Um, our vision is to help undocumented families access upward economic mobility. And for us, we define that as having access to high quality jobs and careers that provide a living wage and help us uh, build generational wealth. Um, and we do that through our mission, our core service, we call it DACAWorks. We help DACA recipients learn how to renew and submit their work permit so they can become self-sufficient and don't have to rely on expensive attorneys. Um, and for those who are low income, uh, for our, 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 our residents here in Colorado, we also provide grants. Uh, so there's no financial barrier to them to renew their work permit because it does come with some high legal fees. Nobody in our community gets left behind in the digital revolution that's happening right now. Juntos to College is a nonprofit, and I saw the Denver Broncos recently made a donation to your organization. Yeah, we, we just uh, got the word that the Denver Broncos football club and, and community development team uh, awarded us a grant to help us with our DACA renewal fund. Uh, every year they do a grant community program. We applied for it. We let them know. I was like, hey, our DACA recipients are Colorado residents. They're Broncos fans and they need help too. And this is what we're doing to help our communities. And they said, we love it. We want to support your cause. Uh, we want to uh, provide financial assistance to help you all. Luis Antesana is the founder and CEO of Juntos to College. The organization awards 10 grants a month to DACA recipients living in Colorado to pay for renewals. Luis, thank you for speaking with me. Yasmin, thank you so much. Mil, mil gracias. Earlier this month, KUNC introduced a new segment on Morning Edition. Every Tuesday and Thursday, KUNC Samantha Kutsia will be talking local news with colleagues at the Colorado Sun. Here's a clip from her first interview with Colorado Sun environment writer Michael Booth. Let's talk about gas. It's pushing $5 a gallon in many parts of Colorado. I mean, the alternative is electric, but what's the real cost of something like that? So when gas gets very close to $5 a gallon, as it now is across Colorado, the steady stream of interest in electric vehicles really can become a flood, and that's what's happening right now. But electricity isn't for either, so we wanted to look at what it actually costs to run an electric vehicle at current rates versus what it costs to run a gasoline vehicle at $5 a gallon. Luckily, there are some people out there who really love their EVs and are good with spreadsheets and keep track way down to the penny. So one of our contacts in the environmental community ran the numbers at XL utility rates for his Nissan Leaf. He drives about the average 11,000 to 12,000 miles a year. Charging mostly at home, it cost him about $470 to run his electric vehicle in the past year. Driving the same number of miles in a comparable gasoline car at five bucks a gallon would have cost him more than $2,000. Now you also have to look at what electric cars cost new, so we did. They can start about $10,000 higher than a comparable gasoline model although tax credits from the federal and state government can lower that gap a little bit. The problem is it's hard for consumers to find any car they want of any kind right now. Dealers tell us your favorite model of anything is very likely on back order. Samantha speaks with journalists from the Colorado Sun every Tuesday and Thursday morning. And in other news, this week we're remembering former Boulder County clerk Kalila Rorix, 
who was the first in the country to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples in 1975. In a Facebook post, Governor Jared Polis wrote that he and his husband are, quote, grateful for the visionary leadership of Rorick's, a woman ahead of her time. Rorick's died on Sunday at a hospice center in Longmont, Colorado. She was 78 years old. And if you're looking for something fun to do this weekend, the Greeley Stampede has officially kicked off its 100th anniversary. KUNC will be there this weekend. We hope to see you and your family there for Family Sunday Funday. That's all for today. You can catch the Colorado Edition podcast every Friday, so please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thank you for spending some time with KUNC's Colorado Edition. See you next week.